Welcome to Level Up Academy, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We are expanding our podcast to business leaders and community experts who are sharing their adversity that each one of us experience and share their story to inspire and inform our world. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator an opportunities designer and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners. This is your host, Dr. Leland, with another special guest, Brett Packard. Welcome to Level Up. Introduce yourself, sir. It's great to be here, Dr. Leland. Thank you for having me. I've been very excited for this moment, for this hour or however long we're going to spend time together. And and so thank you, thank you for having me. I'm uh, pleased to be here. I'm a 30-year retired corporate ex-banker, worked across 30 countries over three decades, 30 countries, 30 years, in most parts of the world and in mainly in uh, various leadership roles. And I, I started at the very bottom, very lowest level of banking back in 1987. I grew up in the 1970s and during the radio, radio was, it was the radio era, the TV era, the color TV era, uh, VCR era, and that kind of thing. No computers, didn't have anything such as a cell phone, any of that stuff as well. So kind of Grew up in that area in in Oklahoma here here in the in the U.S. and um, and then basically started my career on the west coast of the U.S. and and spent uh, started in Las Vegas. I spent five years there, then spent seven years in San Francisco, and and then a traveling job throughout uh, the whole state of California, and then uh, went to Singapore. And uh, worked in uh, lived in Singapore back in 1998, and was involved with the launch of an affluent uh, banking business uh, that turned out to be uh, the top business in Asia. We called it City Gold, and I built sales processes around that off the back of the Asian financial crisis, uh, which, as you would know. Uh, started in Thailand in 1997, and so they brought me out there to Singapore in 1998 to build some sales processes that were working well in the U.S. to help pull the region out of um, the Asian financial crisis. So I did that, and then there was a resignation up in Japan, and I was asked to go up to Japan just for a few weeks, and it turned out to be six years, and it was six great years. And I ran a very large, uh, several hundred million dollar business in in, uh, in Japan. Um, had it, what a wonderful experience it was there, working in that culture, leading large teams of people, and building a phenomenal six star business there as well. Then I was asked to go back to Singapore to run a thirty five billion dollar wealth business across 12 countries in Asia Pacific. So I went down to Singapore for the second time and did that for about a year and a half. And then I got a phone call to come over to London at that point with a different company. So I had been with Citibank for the first 19 years, what I've talked about so far. And 
And so I got a call to go to work for Barclays uh, because it was an opportunity to lead 2,000 people, which I had not done before. And that was very attractive to me. So I went ahead and did that and wonderful learning experience, did that for a few years. And the global financial crisis hit in kind of the middle of that as well. So that turned out to be actually a blessing for me because I learned really how to deal with adverse conditions um, during, during that as well. London, as you as you would know, Dr. Leyland was one of the hardest hit uh, mm-hmm. parts of the world being a financial center. So, so it was great experience. Then I was called to go over to the Middle East. Uh, so my wife and I, we moved to Dubai and um, I oversaw product product development and and some distribution activity for out of 14 countries or so in in the Middle East and Africa. And then there was a a change one day. My boss called me and said, I need you to take a plane. I was in Dubai, I think, and he said, I need you to take a plane overnight and and be in Zambia tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. We're going to make a change down there, and I'd like for you to oversee that business. And so I I did that uh, for roughly a year and hired my replacement. And then I got promoted to run six countries in Southern Africa, which was great. And I was I had the opportunity to oversee countries like um, uh, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Botswana. Uh, Botswana is the home of di- a lot of the diamonds yeah. uh, that come, come out for the world, a fascinating place. Mozambique, Namibia, and Tanzania. And so, so those those six countries, I had uh, complete oversight, end-to-end oversight for the CEOs of those countries reported into me. And then I had opportunities to to work and travel to uh, East Africa, you know, as well, and and a little bit of the Northern African belt. So that was great. And after finishing up that job, I then got a phone call to by one of my ex bosses. I always get, I never had to, other than my first job, never had to apply for a job, Dr. Leyland. I always got a call to with the job offer, and, and so that was that was fortunate. Maybe you and I will talk a bit about that later about why that was. But performance is really key because if you perform well then your phone will ring instead of you having to pick up the phone. And, and that's always worked out well for me. So, so then I got a call from another uh, ex-boss, um, uh, my ex-Japan boss, and she asked me to come back to Singapore for the third time, so with a different bank. And so I went back over there and, and spent three and a half years working for an Australian New Zealand bank and uh, did that as well. And after finishing up that assignment, I came back. My wife, uh, her parents had taken ill and she was caretaking for her parents. So I came back and the last five or six years, I've been helping her care for her parents. And we just, uh, we lost her dad a few years ago, lost her mom recently. And so we're, we're in the process of, um, of wrapping up uh, life in Nebraska and we're gonna move back to our, our home in Las Vegas full time. Uh, very soon. So that's a a really quick recap of Brett Packard's life of 58 years. Wow. I'm, I I was there. Actually, I w- I'm a, a visual like slash kinesthetic learner. So I'm trying to like imagine like all the worlds um, and all the, you know, people that you've met and I love it. And, and I'm trying to think like, you must be a rock star, like super rock star at what you do. And I would love, and I'm sure my listeners would love to know like, 
what traits and skills do you feel are the most important of being a leader or being somebody like you said, never even have to apply for a job? So I developed my own definition of what leadership is. I believe in the word relevance when it comes to any profession, uh, not just leadership, but but what I, it, it took me two decades to learn the definition that I'm going to give you and your listeners right now, which is, which is really relevant leadership is all about creating an environment where those people that are following you can perform at their potential. Okay, period. And you don't see this in a lot of textbooks. Uh, you don't. You don't read about it. You don't take a course on it. And I had to learn this the hard way. We can. We can talk about that if you want a little bit later too. But. But I had to. It took me twenty years to actually learn this, and and that's that's my conclusion. And once I really learned that definition, then I could practice it with with people, right? And and uh, and it was just an exhilarating experience because. The unique thing about that definition, Dr. Leyland, is that you you and I are two completely different people with different potential. And so a relevant leader is going to create an environment. Let's say that you and I both work for the same same company, right? So uh, a relevant leader is going to create an environment where uh, Dr. Leyland and Brett can perform at their potential. But but your potential is very different than my potential. Which one's better? There's really not a better one because we're both different people and we're like snowflakes, right? Every snowflake is different, yeah. right? And we're not the same. We're not robots. We're human beings. And so a great leader is going to recognize, well, these are Brett's talents and skills, and this is what motivates Brett. And Dr. Leland these things don't motivate her at all. Okay, so so, but this these are these are her hot buttons, right? And and this is what we're going to do to allow her to blossom to her full potential. And the best, most relevant leaders in the world are able to understand the difference between uh, Brett and Dr. Leyland, and then enable both of them, and then leave them alone and let them do their job. Yeah, because some micromanagement, I can't handle it. Out, right? It's it's out in the. It, there might have been a place for it in the seventies, or you know, even be. Yeah, I <laughs> think that, if you're like brand new, management's out the window, right? Yeah, I think if you're brand new to the job, you need support, right? Because you don't know the culture yet, you don't know how they work, and things like that. But I think it's also important to have a really good onboarding where you what you expect from that employee to their full potential, like you said, needs to be laid out up front so that you don't feel busy watching what they're doing. Because even though you're trying to help them, it's going to feel like you're just watching what they're doing, even though they don't mean to micromanage you. But it feels like that because the onboarding literally just sucks, right? It's not good to have that kind of culture. Yeah does suck and and yeah if i could just say say what let let me let me put it to you this way i it's a lot like a village okay so let's say that the leader let's say that that i'm the leader of the of the village it's my job to make sure that all the families are fed okay not just my employees but 
the families, which means, now here's, here's what it means. This means that I need to make sure that I pay competitive wages mm-hmm. fair. I don't milk my employees for by trying to underpay them, overwork them, burn them out. Um, I need to ensure their mental health. I also need to indirectly ensure the mental health of their families, even though they're not on my payroll, because that will impact productivity at work. So I look at at leadership as a holistic view mm-hmm. of the entire village. And my job is to teach, let's say, let's say I'm going to teach you, Dr. Leyland, how to catch fish. So I'm going to provide you the fishing pole. And we're going to go down. I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to make sure that I either teach you or that you are capable of catching fish and that you want to do that, by the way. Okay. And then somebody else, maybe their job is to prepare the fish, right? But the the objective is to feed the family and to make it self-sufficient where I, as the leader, don't have to go to the fishing hole every day that that I make sure that that I have great fisherwomen and fishermen that can actually go down there and to um, to provide food so that the village can flourish over time etc 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 and that's really what the job of a relevant leader is is thinking about it holistically and we wouldn't have things like the great resignation Mm -hmm. that's happening in the United States right now Mm -hmm. if there was a more holistic view of what leadership should do and specifically it's about putting people before profits not profits before profits before people has caused the great resignation yeah and it's still going to keep going i i till today i'm i still have a an organization that squeeze like you said i feel like (laughs) You know, working for someone in manufacturing where I make 50 cents per hour and I'm making like this Nike shoes that's going to be sold for $2,000. And it's, it sucks. That feeling sucks for you as a person. And I think when you're talking about holistic and relevance leader, I love that because I feel like that's more of an Asian leadership, right? I, I think I just did a lecture last week on that on... A Japanese person, basically, I think it was theory X and Y, and there's also a theory Z coming up with mm-hmm. regards to looking at the piece person as a whole rather than just what they're willing to give you right there. So right. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Now, has recent COVID pandemic changed your leadership style at all? No, actually, uh, it fits it fits right into my leadership. We haven't talked about adversity yet or crisis, but um, but actually. During my journey that I, I described earlier, I think I briefly touched on that I went through the global financial crisis, the Asia financial crisis, 9-11, I was in Japan when that happened, and now COVID, and next year, recession, I don't know, uh, maybe, uh, highly likely, look at what the Fed is doing right now, the money's drying up, mm-hmm. um, so not sure what's going to happen, but to answer your question, I became accustomed to adverse situations, and I focus a lot now on and help people um, become and sustain as elite performers and to build elite teams. And one of the things, if you're going to be an elite performer, the, the first decile of performance 
you have to know how to perform when it's raining outside. You know, because most people can perform when the sun's shining and times are good, but when something like the pandemic comes through and shuts things down and, and messes up supply chains and all sorts of other things like this, I am positioned where uh, my leadership style, back to your question, is versatile enough to actually not just navigate the adversity, but to actually flourish in the adversity as well. We can we can talk more about what that means if you want to. Yeah, extend. Uh, that's yeah. I would love to know, yeah. like, how do you, what kind of tools or support would you give your team and said, hey, Brett, we, we just don't have the budget for that. And I know you need this right now, but budget's tight. How do we move forward with this project? Yeah, I mean, we can't, you're right. It, that's a real question. And we can't print money, right? No, so, <laughs> we wish. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That's right, right? So, I think that, uh, I mean, the Fed overprinted me. That's why we have inflation. So anyway, I I think that uh, back to your question. So I look at something and I learned this many, many years ago when I was, I left high school. I went to junior college for two years, got out of junior college in 1985, enrolled in a big university, and I dropped out after 10 days. My dreams were shattered. I couldn't take it. And so what happened is, I'm telling you this little story about me because it will, um, I'll bring it into the present day of, of COVID. So why did, the point at why did I drop out of school after 10 days? I didn't like the, the way the food tasted. I didn't like the way the professor parted his hair on the side of his head. I didn't like the food. I didn't like my roommate. Everything was wrong with the world except for me. And so I just said, you know what? I don't need this. I'm going to leave, right? And and in hindsight, I was able to. So then I went back home but with no future. Wasted a bunch of my parents' money. And, um, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I'm the problem. I was the problem. It wasn't all of these people. It wasn't the food. It wasn't the color of the dorm room. It was me. I didn't know how to handle life outside of the house. I never lived away from home before, and that was the root cause of my problem. So, so um, to make a long story short, I kind of got my head together at a very young age, started reading some books, and I, I read this. I don't even remember the name of the book, but I, I ran across a concept called AQ, Adversity Quotient. And you'd be familiar with, everybody's familiar with IQ, EQ. A lot of people, surprisingly, I know you'd be familiar with it, but a lot of people aren't have never heard of AQ, adversity quotient. What is it? Well, all that the listeners for today really need to know is that if you have a high AQ, you can deal with adversity. And if you have a low AQ, you can't deal with it. So Brett Packard... during the university dropout era, had a very low AQ. I just couldn't deal with it, and I was blaming everybody else. So there's three keys that, that I learned from that period of time to drive up my AQ, um, and these same things I'm going to share with your listeners right now is what I used during the Asian financial crisis leading people the 9-11, recovering from the 9-11 tragedy, 
and the global financial crisis and also in the pandemic era. So these are the three things that that if you can ingrain these in your behavior as a leader or even if you're not a leader and you're in what I'll call an individual contributor in whatever job you're doing, these three things and these three things will work in your personal life as well during any adversity. We all run through that. Number one, whatever happens, don't blame other people. Don't blame others. Don't blame the color of the dorm room, the food, the stuff that I was doing when I was a young kid. Just don't don't play the blame game because it doesn't solve anything, right? And the amount of energy that goes into blaming other people, uh, it, 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 it'll just wear you out. Number two, don't blame yourself. So many people, okay, uh, and I'm a big advocate for mental health. I'm not a mental health professional. So if somebody has a mental health issue, they should seek professional help. But I'm an advocate for it. And one one piece of advice that I would give anybody running into difficult patches, seek professional help. But on the side, what I would also say is that don't blame yourself for whatever might be causing um, the stress or back to business in the adversity, or if you're an individual, uh, you're, you're, something's creating mental health. Let's say, let's say the lockdowns are creating you know, mental health issues, which they did, as you know, Dr. Leyland, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of mental health issues um, from that. Don't blame yourself. And a lot of people blame themselves for whatever situation, but they didn't cause the situation. So, so don't play the blame game on others or yourself. Number three, equally important, understand that whatever it is, your question, the pandemic, okay, um, it, it can be dealt with, okay, it's not going to be here forever, okay, so we can deal with this, it's limited in duration, and we'll get through it. So a combination of these three things of making sure that, that, um, that, that this storm will pass, okay, because that forces you to be patient. And I learned a lot about patience in Japan. I know you, you'd be able to appreciate that as well. And that, that really, the six years I spent in Japan really taught me what patience, the art of patience. It's not, it's not really a science, it's an, it's an art. And this AQ concept, adversity quotient concept is very powerful and this can help anybody through crisis. So uh, back to your original question, all of this, uh, when the pandemic happened, it just fits into my leadership style because I had developed a reputation, Dr. Leyland, of, of whenever there was a crisis in the companies that I was working for, they call Brett. Call Brett, uh, he's in Dubai, call him, have him be in Zambia tomorrow morning. Uh, Brett's in Singapore, 6.30 in the morning. I need you in Tokyo at, 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 at 10.30 tomorrow. We're having a meeting in Japan. Uh, we need to fix this because somebody seniors resigned. So we need you to come in and, and you know, do this, that, and the other. And so I had started to develop, not by design, um, a reputation for handling crisis and getting businesses out of messes. When I, I got called down to Zambia because they had made a bunch of loans to copper miners and the price of copper after the global financial crisis 
and taken a, um, a nosedive. And so you can imagine what happened to that portfolio. And so that created a lot of, you know, people lost their jobs, you know, all, all sorts of stuff as well. And I had to go in and change the culture and re-diversify the business streams from that as well. We're able to do that as well. So, but having a high AQ, it's not a silver bullet, but it sure gets you a long way down the road. I love it. I, I learned yeah. something. Like I do that anyway, but I didn't pinpoint out of a something. Yeah, I love it. Now, what about your career that inspires you to keep going and helping all these organizations? You know, to me, it's all about at this point in my life, 58 years old, I'm not going to go back. I have no plan to go back to corporate life as well. So to me, it's all about living my legacy, right? I have, you know, you know, what's amazing to me, I have these cashiers, tellers, uh, they call them tellers in the United States, we call them cashiers overseas, people that, that handle the money across the uh, the bank counter, right, when, when you come in and make deposits and withdraw money. I have uh, half a dozen people from Southern Africa, they write me a message every morning and say, good morning, Brett, and then they write me a message before they go to bed at night, good evening, Brett, and these are people that I was the CEO of the largest bank in the country. These were these are career cashiers, tellers. They love their job, and they're still doing that job. They they remember me from that period of time. And I haven't been back to Zambia in in over a decade. Twenty twelve was the last time I was in Zambia, right? And to have these people five days a week say good morning to me, and good evening to me is the ultimate compliment because these weren't my just my direct reports and you know people at an executive level as well now I, I do stay in touch with all of them as well but to, to have people that that there were I don't know five layers of management between the uh, position I held and where they were uh, to, to have that kind of an impact on people where 10 years later we haven't seen each other and they still remember and they just take that little extra effort to say good morning and good evening to me. That's very special. So to me, it's all about legacy and that's how I like to get paid, right? By, by having people express the impact that I made on them. That's really what keeps me going. The other thing that keeps me going is that I love to, to work with people that have gone through and gotten a job done under incredibly difficult circumstances and to uh, debrief with them about what the challenges were and to, to say, are you ready for the next one? And they're already on to the next you know, uh, thing as well. And, and how can we make some adjustments so that when they, you know, we were coming out of the pandemic, for example, as well, uh, Asia is the most resilient region of the world, so they always bounce back quicker than everybody else, as you would know. And and so um, with the pandemic, you know, Singapore, uh, Singapore just today or yesterday, Monday, Singapore time, just lifted the indoor mask mandate, first time since uh, COVID, just just today or yesterday. And and so 
The economies are returning to more of a normal state as well and that type of thing. So, but are people ready for the next whatever? And I hope it's not a pandemic, uh, recession, war. You know, there's a war going on too. A yeah. lot of people are forgetting about that, but that's still very real. Yeah, it is. And uh, could, could that spread, right? So are people ready and are they resilient? And is their AQ high enough to be able to uh, continue to do well when that, th- this type of thing keeps me going as well. That's awesome. I love it. Because yeah. you're actually helping the future by helping the people who are already the future, right? So I love that. Now, this is kind of a cliche question, but I'm curious to know. Sure. I'm sure you're mm-hmm. leading a lot of business leaders. And like you said, you, you deal with elite team. Do you think there's a difference between, like, is is leadership and management synonymous or can someone just be born a leader or can you learn to be a leader or how do you define that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's the latter and I'm glad you asked this question. It's a great question. I'm, I'm going to give you my favorite analogy. I'm going to let you pick, Dr. Leon. Do you want a 1970s analogy or do you want a 2022 analogy? 2022. Okay, let's do that. Okay. A smartphone. A smartphone, right? So let's say you got a big, beautiful, I'm a big Apple fan. I don't know about you. but Me too. But uh, uh, you, you know the feeling when you get your new iPhone in the mail and you, you just can't wait. to. So you open the package, which, which they make it really easy to open. And you, you take it out and you hold it in your hand before you even turn it on and say, wow, you know, this is, this is great. I can't wait. To, to use it, right? Okay, so you turn it on, and it turns on, but you haven't put that SIM card in it yet, right? So now what happens if you don't put that SIM card in it? It's not going to work. It doesn't, and now they come with eSIM, but for, so for you techies out there, I understand all that, but, yeah. but, but in most phones still require that SIM card go in there. It doesn't matter how much you play with it, it's not going to work without that chip, that little SIM card, or the software that's inside, the iOS software. So management, to me, is the beautiful piece of hardware. It's the Scion Blue aluminum casing, beautiful piece of glass. It feels great in your hand. Leadership is a software it's the programming, okay, mm-hmm. and 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 that's what's important. Now, let me let me attribute each of that back to business and and what that means specifically for your question. So, the management, the hardware component, are things like processes, legal requirements, certifications, uh, doctorates. You know, whatever's required for your particular profession to help people. That's the hardware. If you don't have the if you don't have the smartphone and you got software, it doesn't do you any good either. So you got you got to have both, right? So so uh, the processes, uh, tasks, okay, uh, things that you have to do every day, your operations to get the business. That's all hardware, okay. This is where there's a big fail on behalf of a lot of companies because. They are so focused and obsessed with the management side of things, the things that I'm talking about right now with processes, et cetera, that 
it consumes everything and then the people get lost in the process uh, because there's no leadership. So what is leadership? What is the software? What's the iOS equivalent in business? Well, it's culture. How do people feel? So what is the ecosystem like? Do you have an ecosystem that is punitive in nature uh, or supportive in nature? Like the village concept that I spoke about earlier, are you, do you provide the, do, you, do I tell Dr. Leyland to go catch fish and I forget about it and, but you don't really know how, you don't know what kind of fish, you know, whatever. And what happens if you, what if you don't have a fishing pole? So that's a leadership fail. So, so that's an example of software as well. Other examples of software are instead of thinking about everything in a task, think about it in teams. So how can we get this done through a collaborative type of effort where everybody can grow and benefit uh, certain things, not everything, right? There has to be some individual contribution, but some things can be done collaboratively as well where people can grow and benefit. And that would be things like career plans, right? Do people have career plans as well? That's part of the software. That's not a hardware type of thing. Engagement, okay? How engaged are people? Uh, do people really, we can talk about engagement later if you want to, but but these are all software components. The SIM card that, that if you, a lot of people wonder, why isn't my business operating well? Well, the reason is that you're trying to operate this new smartphone, it's a beautiful phone, but you don't have a SIM card, so it's just not going to connect and everybody's going to be lost in the process. I love it. Now I feel like drawing it on my new iPod, Brett Packard, SIM card <laughs> leadership. I swear I'm going to do it. I'm going to put your name on it. I was like, ooh. Well, well, someday, someday I'll give you the 1970s version. Oh, I love it. I, I think it's it clicks. <laughs> when you said that, actually, it clicks to me because... You are right, because a lot of things you need to upgrade, even SIM cards, you know, need to upgrade if you right. want to go international or you want to stay in the U.S. Mm -hmm. You know, it really depends. And like you said, culture can be upgraded in your SIM card. You know, all the software mm -hmm. can be upgraded. And I think a lot of business leaders today, I feel like some of them are still in the 70s when it comes to pay, but the demand is 2022. So they need to get with the program for sure. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And, you know, if you look at the cost of attrition, mm -hmm. uh, just very briefly, and you look at what a lot of new hires are paid compared to existing employees, it, it's just it's just way out of whack. And look, I understand these issues. I, I worked in corporate environments for 30 years, but I also changed a lot of those systems. And you can, and when I was in Japan, I remember Dr. Leyland, I went a little bit off topic, but but similar to, to what you talked about. And I want to get this to your listeners. That when I went into Japan, after 10 days, I went around the country and, and went looked at, we had 24 locations. And I walked in the room and I said, why are there only two women branch managers? There were two out of 24, mm -hmm. right? Well, fast for and, and of course, everybody looked at me like, how dare you ask a question like that? You know, you, you don't ask questions like this in this country, Brett, right? Well, fast forward 18 months later, we had nearly half were women 
ok and as you would know in japan in japan you don't fire people in japan you do most unless there's something really 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 wrong we're able to make changes in japan and get some diversity into the leadership structure and i we did i could talk for hours no that's actually funny you said that because my dissertation was about culture between united states and philippines but I know that mm-hmm. Japan is a very masculine type of culture. And that's yeah. what I, I had helped my business because my family's been doing 50 years, I think, now business, import, export, auto parts and stuff and the government stuff. But yeah. it's like you, if you go to business in Japan, this was probably even in the 90s or late, late 80s. Is like if you go to business in Japan and your CEO is female, you better put in a male to go there to really get you into business. Because it's not that, it's cultural, right? They don't mean to be Mm -hmm. rude or mean or anything. It's cultural. They only respect men, period. That's just how it works, you know? And and you have to respect that culture because that's how it is. And they party first before they want to get to know you and what kind of person you are and how, you know, like you said, adversity. They don't just go, okay, we have a meeting at eight, Brett, and we've been done at nine, we can close this deal. That's an American way. That's not how it works in Japan, you know, like, yeah. So I had to actually, I made money on cultural communications based on that. I was like, I think I got paid like $600 in an hour just to to convert that this was like in the 90s because i'm like you you can't go to there and they're like what do you mean i'm like i'll give you research why you know so thank you for that now i really love that you have changed so many lives and you brought me back when you said a teller because i was once a teller my first job was um, at a bank a local bank and i don't want to do a teller's job because the day that i was filling in for someone um we got robbed by Gunpoint. Wow. Yeah. And I told him, like, this is why I don't want to be a teller. I told the CEO of the local bank, no, it's not, I'm not doing it. And this was in California. So I, I, will, I won't do mm-hmm. tellering. It's a, it's a hard job. Like, for me, it was it so nerve-wracking. Yeah. yeah. You know, getting yelled at, still trying to keep your cool. And yeah, no, I won't do it. But I appreciate your time. I have a last question for you. I watched a recording with the Holiness Dalai Lama. And he said, change begins within you. Use compassion to change your world and ultimately our world. How do you hope to change the world? And what are you doing today to make an impact on the lives of those around you? Yeah, that's to, wow, that, that is powerful. Well, first of all, you, you touched on compassion. And I would, I would just, um, I'd like to go down that pathway a bit. My, my wife is the perfect example of a role model for compassion uh, with what she's done to uh, care for other family uh, from, from that have gone through enormous, unbelievable health hardships and, and putting other people uh, first. And, and that has carried over and helped me tremendously in all of the leadership areas that you and I spoke about in, in this uh, in this podcast as well. So I strongly believe that compassion, see, we're all human. Mm-hmm. So whether we're in the digital age or not, and, and it's becoming more and more digital, but even in the digital world, you and I, we're, we're using digital uh, technology right now to have this conversation, but we're both human mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And so the impact that I want to make and through my legacy is 
to help people fulfill that definition that I told you at the start of this program, which is to basically enable people to be the very best that they can be. And that's different for every person. And so, so compassion is required to, you can't show compassion to somebody unless you understand, have an understanding on what they're going through, Mm -hmm. right? And, and compassion is a wonderful tool to help uh, do that as well. So I, it's part of my DNA. I use it. I, all of this stuff that you and I've talked about on this program doesn't work unless you're connected to your team Mm -hmm. as a leader. And so, and compassion is a vital uh, tool to use to connect with people and and build engagement. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I just wanted to say, when you told me a story about your wife, and I forgot to say condolence to her family and to you. I Thank you. Yeah. My uncle died from Thank COVID you. and I lost about four, five friends in COVID. It's been difficult wow. and hard. And my kids went through mental breakdown during COVID. It's just, it's hard. It's difficult. And you just it kind of push mm-hmm. through, you know, and you put a smile and, you know, you put a beat. But in the back of your life, it's the real world after, the, you know, the podcast, it's like, Oh my God, we have to do this, you know, and it's, it's been hard. And I love to use the Dalai Lama's compassion because at the end of the day, we really are brothers and sisters. I mean, during the war, what is a war for power? Really? At the end of the day, we bled, we died. Like, I don't understand why we're fighting for what though. Right. And so I'm with you. Yeah. I don't understand what we're fighting for. If we need food, then we should just give food. Why do you need the power to be over somebody? Why? It's like micromanagement to the unth level. It's it's just crazy. It's another topic for sure for us. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any last minute thing that you would like or people to find you in social media on LinkedIn? Yeah, I, I, probably the best way. I'm on all the major social uh, channels and under my name, the handle. But uh, LinkedIn, uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn and uh, in-depth insight um, every day on LinkedIn. So that's probably the best way to follow me. My, I guess my only advice to, to everybody listening here is that understand that you can, human beings, this is some advice my father gave me when I was, I don't know, maybe about to leave high school and graduate from high school. And he said, you know, Brett, one thing to always keep in mind is that human beings are incredibly adaptable. So you're going to have a lot of change in your life in the future. And boy, have I. I mean, I I never knew that I would live all around the world in all these places that I told you about and and deal with um, all of these uh, problems and lead so many people. But he, he was right is that regardless of the situation, Bruce Lee, the uh, famous uh, uh, from from Hong Kong, I think everybody would know who Bruce Lee is. He had a famous quote. There's an interview on on something like, be watcher, my friend, and and look it up. But basically what what the concept means is if you can, as a human, be like water. You pour water into a teacup, it becomes a cup. Mm -hmm. You pour water into a bottle, it becomes a bottle. Okay, in the real world, a situation happens, you can adapt to it as a human, right? And, and that has turned out to be golden advice. And I would encourage everybody 
to study Bruce Lee, Be Like Water, my friend, because you can adapt and adjust yourself as a human being to any situation. You really can. Yeah, I love it. I'm like having big words in my head. I'm like, ooh, adaptability, resilience, collaboration, you know, adversity quotients. I'm loving this. I'm going to put notes in these things for sure. That was going on in my head while we're talking. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you. You're most welcome, Dr. Leland. Thank you. And thank you for all the great work that you do. And it's a great it's great to learn from you. I love your podcast. And, and I always pick up something new. You have dynamic guests on there as well. And so I'm very happy to uh, be, be part of your, your arsenal to help you impact the world in a big way. I know you're in a lot of countries around the world right now, right? So Yeah, 30 so, so far. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, it's I been mean, five months. Really so I, I worked across 30, you're in 30, and yeah. they're probably a different 30, but um, but I know that your, your number's really going to grow a lot, so I'm really happy to be part of that. Awesome. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you have any questions, email me at lua, L-U-A, at level up by Doc Leland. Doc Leland spells D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D dot com. Lua by DocLeland.com is open for consultations and courses will be offered soon. I will see you in the next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.